Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the INT Podcast. It's me, Dylan, back with you again. Uh, sorry I missed uploading Tuesday. It's been a busy week. But I uh, just wanted to cover a couple things in sports that have gone on in the past few days as I sit here watching the Bears and the Bucks play Thursday night football. Tom Brady not looking quite like the Tom Brady of old. The Bucks, I feel, are going to be a bit disappointing to a lot of fans this season. Just like a couple of the teams that I'm going to get into here in just a few minutes. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started. And today I'm going to start out talking about the NFL, covering a few topics there. So first, I want to start by addressing all of the undefeated teams that are left. There are six undefeated teams left in the league right now. Technically, it should be five because two of them were supposed to play each other last week in the Steelers and the Titans, but obviously COVID has canceled that game and it got moved to later this season. So they're both technically still undefeated, so I'll be covering both of them here. Uh, But the first team I've got here is the Bills. Now, I think the Bills are a very good team. I do think they deserve to be undefeated. Their schedule is has been pretty easy, but nonetheless, Josh Allen looks phenomenal. He looks absolutely incredible. This is the Josh Allen that I really thought would come out this year. This is why I drafted him in two of my four fantasy leagues. But um, they're 4-0. They look really good. Uh, I don't think they'll lose this week, but I do think that they'll pick up their first loss against Kansas City in Week 6. And looking at their schedule, they've got a pretty easy schedule. Their division isn't the hardest thing in the world. Uh, The Patriots, obviously, are pretty competitive. But the Jets and the Dolphins are both pretty easy teams to beat in that division. I think the Bills go 5-1 in the division. I think they finish 12-4 overall with a loss to Kansas City, a loss to New England. I think they lose to Buffalo. or I Sorry, I think they lose to Pittsburgh. And then there's one more loss on that schedule that I can't think of right now. But those are my four losses for the Bills is my projection. Uh, Moving down to the Chiefs. Now, any other year, I would say the Chiefs go 16-0. But I I can't see it happening this year. Um, As much as I want them to lose games also, their schedule is extremely easy. They have a really weak division. Uh, Their out-of-division schedule, out-of-conference schedule, is not very strong. So I really do think that they're looking at a 15-1 because the division that they got matched up with in the NFC this year is the NFC South. So the Panthers are an easy win. The Falcons are an easy win. I think they beat the Saints because they've got the Saints beat on offense and defense right now. And then the Buccaneers don't look near anything what people expected them to look like. So I think that's a 4-0. I think they run the table in their division, which moves them to 10-0. Actually, I lied. I do think that they'll get beat by Las Vegas in Las Vegas in Week 10. That's their first loss of the season, and that's their only loss of the season, if you ask me. I think that... If any team is going to beat them, it will be Las Vegas. They already got through Baltimore. They already got through New England, who were two of the harder games on the schedule, if you ask me. And if they can beat both of those teams, I think they'll be just fine going down the road. So 15-1 and for the Kansas City Chiefs is my prediction. Uh, the next undefeated team is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who conditionally could or could not be undefeated, depending on what happens at Tennessee. And I do think that they will lose that game against Tennessee that's been rescheduled to Week 7 now. So I think that's their first loss of the year coming in Tennessee. Tennessee's defense isn't all that great, but Derrick Henry is a wrecking ball. Ryan Tannehill has flown very far under the radar this year. The Steelers' defenses are very good. Their offense is uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's really not that bad. But I do think that Tennessee takes that one from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh comes to Nashville. I think Tennessee, being at home, has that advantage. They don't have to travel. I say Tennessee picks up the win there in Week 7, and Pittsburgh loses their first game there. I do think at the end of the year, though, that Pittsburgh will have a better record than Tennessee. 
I have Pittsburgh going 12-4. and I have the Titans going 11-5. and And I actually do have the Titans losing this week for their first game against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen is just phenomenal. I don't see Josh Allen losing too many games this year. Uh, he's leading that Bills team very well right now. They're playing out of their minds. They, I knew they'd be good, but they should not be playing the way they are right now. And because of that, I think they beat Tennessee this week, and then they go into Kansas City and lose. That's just the way things are going to work out for them. Uh, so I have the Titans going 11-5. and five. They have a pretty difficult schedule. Their division isn't all that hard. you got Jacksonville, you've got Houston, and you've got Indianapolis. So Indianapolis is probably the only team that I could see getting close to beating Tennessee at this point. And I think outs I think Tennessee does lose a game to Indianapolis. And for that reason that drops them from twelve and four to eleven and five. Now Tennessee is my biggest surprise right now in terms of undefeated teams. I think the other five teams have reason coming into this year to be undefeated. And I just I mean Tennessee played well last year. They surprised a lot of people with their playoff run. But man, I don't know if they surprised people enough to be undefeated at this point. They're playing very well, and for that reason, I do have a lot of respect for the team, but I don't think this is going to last. And I think of the undefeated teams, they will have the worst record at the end of the year at 11-5. and On the other hand, we have the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers look insanely good. Aaron Rodgers is my runner-up for MVP right now behind only Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers is a man on a mission. He is upset that Green Bay drafted his replacement instead of drafting him weapons. And he wants to show Matt LaFleur that he has so much more left in him, which he does. He's proving that night in, night out. And I just don't see Green Bay losing. I think they go all the way to Week 10, and they go 9-0. And I think they take a day off, and they lose to Indianapolis. Indianapolis has a very good defense. Their secondary is very good, very talented. They have a very talented linebacker core. I do think that that will be Green Bay's first and only loss. I think Green Bay goes 15-1, and just like the Kansas City Chiefs. It seems a bit unrealistic to have two teams go 15-1, and but to me, that sounds just right. And that's a right where I think Kansas City and Green Bay will be. I actually picked Kansas City and Green Bay in the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season before anything had started. I, I was very high on the Packers coming in. I like them a lot. Now, the other team that I had in the NFC Championship game was the Seattle Seahawks, who are 4-0. They have, in my opinion, the MVP of the league right now and Russell Wilson leading them at quarterback. Um, they're a very good team. They're very talented. They've got two very good, very quick wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Chris Carson is performing well above expectation, and that obviously helps take a lot of pressure off of the passing game that the Seahawks rely on so much. Uh, Russell Wilson is, in my opinion, the smartest quarterback in the entire NFL. He is incredibly talented. He has great field vision. His great ball carrier vision. I just, I don't know how he hasn't won MVP already. I think he will win an MVP this season. And I think the Seahawks go 8-0, go into LA, and take a loss in the division. I like LA a lot. Their defense is stout. And I do like them to upset Seattle in Week 9. But I think Seattle only loses two games outside of that. I say they go 13-3 and at the end of the season. All three of their losses come within the division because the NFC West is arguably the most talented division in the entire National Football League. So I like the Seahawks to go 13-3. and Now that's all of your undefeated teams. Now you also have four teams right now who are 0-4. And I would say that two of these are massive disappointments. So let's start with the Falcons. I won't go into my rant about the Falcons because I am a Falcons fan. I won't get in I won't get too far into the Falcons debacle. If you guys want me to analyze the Falcons, I can rant about that for thirty minutes. Just if that's something y'all want to hear, then 
hit me up. Let me know. I'll, I will rant about the Falcons and the entire debacle. But moving on from that, they are 0-4. They should not be 0-4. And for that reason, they are the biggest disappointment in the entire National Football League right now. I would say that their roster is the most talented roster in the NFC South. And yeah, you can say that that, that the Saints have Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees, wah, wah, wah. You can say that the Buccaneers have Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and wah, wah, wah. The Falcons have the Offensive Rookie of the Year in Todd Gurley. They have Matt Ryan, who is an elite quarterback, who is a Hall of Fame candidate quarterback. Julio Jones, who is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Calvin Ridley, who is working on a Hall of Fame wide receiver career. Learning from a Hall of Fame wide receiver. You've got a decent offensive line. We have drafted four offensive linemen in the past three years, each of which is starting or playing an integral role on that offensive line. And you've got Hayden Hurst, who is a tight end looking to prove himself, who so far is proving himself. This team should not be 0-4 with all of the talent on offense. On defense, you still have that much talent. You have Keanu Neal, who was regarded as one of the top safeties in the NFL at one time. You have DeMonte KZ, who is, well, you don't have DeMonte KZ anymore because unfortunately, Torres Achilles against Green Bay, he's out for the year. That hurt. You have A.J. Terrell, who's your number one corner as a rookie. That's embarrassing. Kendall Sheffield, second-year guy out of Ohio State. He's playing well. And then you spent a ton of money to bring in Dante Fowler to clear up some space for Grady Jarrett. And Dante Fowler has done nothing. They overpaid for guys who aren't producing, and they're not doing anything about it. They're not firing the GM. I don't expect them to fire Dan Quinn right now. I don't expect them to fire the coach because if you fire your coach, you won't find another one until the end of the season. If you fire the coach, you're telling the fans, we give up on the season, which I personally wouldn't mind, and a lot of other Falcons fans wouldn't mind. But that's not the way Arthur Blank sees it. I I don't think they get their first win until week seven against Detroit. I don't think they beat Carolina this week. I don't think they win next week against, I think it's Denver. And I don't I really do think they win against Detroit and then they win four more games the rest of the season. They go five and eleven and they screw themselves out of another top five draft pick. Moving on to the Houston Texans. You could argue that they're a bigger disappointment than Atlanta, but I just don't see it. I was not high on the Texans coming into this year. I didn't think they'd be 0-4. I thought they'd be 1-3. Every time I looked at the Texans' schedule, I thought they would win at least one game. I thought they'd be Indianapolis. I really did. But they didn't. And that here they are. They're 0-4. They fired their head coach and their GM because he worked as both of those. And I mean, I think they'll get their first win this week against Jacksonville. Jacksonville, as much as people are hyping them up, they're not that good. Gardner Gardner Minshew is a mediocre quarterback. He's not the answer in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville will draft a quarterback sooner rather than later. Not this year, maybe next year. We'll see how things go. But surely Houston will pick up a win in Week 5. And outside of that, I think they win five more games. They go 6-10, and which is respectable when you've started the season... 0-4. 6-6 to end the season is okay, especially with an interim head coach. Moving on to the Jets, Adam Gase, if Dan Quinn isn't the next guy to be fired, Adam Gase is. There's no doubt about it. That Jets team, they're wasting Sam Darnold's talent. Sam Darnold is an extremely talented player, but ever since Mark Sanchez's butt fumble in 2009, Anything that has touched a Jets uniform has gone to die. Think about it. Sam Darnold coming in was a highly touted NFL prospect at quarterback. You haven't heard anything good about him in almost two years, and he's been in the league for three. Um, The last good thing that I can remember to come out of New York is Darrell Rebus, and that was 
late 2000s. It's ridiculous how much talent there is in New York. And nothing good comes out of there. It's just awful. They need to overhaul that entire franchise. Adam Gase needs to be gone. The owner needs to fire the general manager. They just need to overhaul everything. And until they do that, I don't see the Jets being a winning franchise. 1-15 for the Jets. They they win against the Dolphins, and that, that's all I see them doing. They lose the other game against the Dolphins. They lose to the Patriots. They lose to the Bills both times, to both teams. They, they're not going to win any games. I just cannot see it happening. Now, the other team that plays in that stadium isn't doing too hot either, the Giants. I think they win this week. I think they beat the Dallas Cowboys, and the Dallas Cowboys are in trouble. They're 1-3. They're not that far ahead of the Giants. But if the Giants win, the Eagles and the Redskins lose, the Giants are already in first place in that division. That is sad. There's a reason they call it the NFC Least. But that's not that's beside the point. Uh, I, the Giants, again, they're wasting talent too. Now, I do sympathize a little bit with them for the loss of Saquon Barkley. That's going to hurt them a lot. Um, it already has. Not having that production on the ground puts a lot more pressure on Daniel Jones and Deion Lewis and Devontae Freeman. And I just don't see them winning too many games. I think they do better than the Jets. I've got the Giants going 3-13, and 13, and that should get them a top-5 draft pick. But we'll see how the rest of the season goes. I, I don't think Joe Judge's job is in danger just because this is his first year at head coach. He's dealing with a lot of injuries. If you if they give him some time, maybe he'll do something with the offense because Jason Garrett's the OC there, and Dallas has never had a bad offense. So we'll see what what happens in New York, but three and thirteen is right where I expect them to be. Now, talking about losing teams, there are, here are five guys that I think have the hottest seats in the NFL. Dan Quinn, I've given you my opinion on him. Moving on, Adam Gase. I just gave you my opinion on him also. He doesn't know the first thing about football. I don't know why he's not gone already. Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, has a job as the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, and the Detroit Lions defense has not gotten any better. This this has been the case with defensive coordinators becoming head coaches all over the league. And I don't see Matt Patricia lasting much longer in Detroit if they lose any games in the next two weeks. Uh, Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer is the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, who are arguably one of the more talented teams in the NFC. I think they have plenty of talent. I think they lost a lot of talent in the offseason because Mike Zimmer and the general manager in Minnesota were not willing to pay the money. You missed out on Stefan Diggs, who is killing it in Buffalo with Josh Allen, who could be killing it in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, and you see what Justin Jefferson's doing. Justin Jefferson, as a rookie, is putting up some pretty nice numbers right now. But he's not Stephon Diggs. And I really don't expect Minnesota to win too many more games. I think they definitely should not be 1-3, and and they should be making games more competitive than they are. Especially when you have Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson running that offense. And for that reason, I think Mike Zimmer's job is in a lot of danger. Now, number five is Doug Maroney. A lot of people are talking a lot about Jacksonville. They're talking about how good the team is. But they're one and three. They're not playing that well. They're really not. And I don't expect them to start winning any more games. They, they might keep them close. They might be competitive. But I don't think they're going to win any more games. And for that reason, I think that at the end of the season, Doug Maroney loses his job. He's been the coach there since 2016. He coached them on the downfall. And oftentimes what happens in a team in Jacksonville's case who is trading talent away to make room to sign better talent and to draft better talent Usually, they get rid of the head coach in that situation as well. So I really do not expect Doug Maroney to last too much longer in Jacksonville. All right, I'm going to go through my fantasy pick sixes 
my top six and my bottom six in the league. Just real quick, uh, I've got Justin Herbert at quarterback. Find him, start him. Eric Ebron, Joshua Kelly of the LA Chargers, Miles Gaskin, the running back for the Miami Dolphins, Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, and Brandon Ayuk, a rookie wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. If you can find them, great, start them. Because they're, I have a good feeling that they're going to put up some good points this week against the teams they're playing against. Now my pick six busts, I've got Joe Mixon against the Baltimore defense. Be careful with him. Derrick Henry, he's not been too productive this season. He's playing the Buffalo defense, a very strong Buffalo defense. I'm worried to start Derrick Henry. Josh Jacobs against that Chiefs defense. Don't start anybody against Kansas City right now. They are hot. Uh, Cooper Cup. I don't like Cooper Cup on the Rams. I really, I got a bad feeling about him this week. I like Robert Woods over Cooper Cup just because he's more involved. Uh, Kareem Hunt going up against hmm, who's Cleveland playing? Cleveland's playing a very good defense, and I would be worried to start Kareem Hunt. And then AJ Brown again playing the Buffalo defense. I'm scared to start AJ Brown against Buffalo just because they're so hot. And I don't think Buffalo is going to lose this week. So be careful about that. All right, moving into some college football. Um, there's actually quite a bit to talk about in college football this week. There are some pretty good storylines. Uh, after watching UGA play Auburn on Saturday, I am convinced that they have the best defense in the country. Even They didn't even have their starters in. Richard LeCount got sent off in the first quarter for targeting. Whoever filled in, I could say did just as good or better than Richard LeCount did. They UGA, I did some research. They have two or three five-star recruits that are on the bench. They could start anywhere else in the country, and they're on the bench. They're used for circumstances like third down, third and long, third and short, fourth down. That's how deep this UGA defense is. I have no doubt that this is the best defense in the country, and because of that, Georgia is going to win a lot of games. I think they beat Bama in the regular season. I don't think they beat them in the SEC championship game, but I do think that UGA beats Bama, beats Florida, and then loses in the championship game and gets a spot in the playoff. Because if the committee knows what's best for them, they'll put a one-loss Georgia team into that playoff over anybody. Because it's a really, really good team this season. Uh, obviously, Clemson and Bama dominate again. Bama, I, I think UGA will be their toughest test of the year. And I think they'll lose that game. Uh, Mac Jones looks pretty good at quarterback. But UGA secondary is going to lock up those Alabama receivers. They'll lock up Jalen Waddell. They won't give up much to Mac Jones. It's going to be on Najee Harris in the run game to do something. And UGA shuts down the run also. But Clemson, on the other hand, it's, it's the ACC. Uh, they'll beat Miami this weekend pretty handily. And then they don't play another good team. They'll run the table in the ACC, no doubt about it. Uh, going back to that UGA-Auburn game, everybody, and I mean everybody, was high on Bo Nix coming into this year for Auburn at quarterback. I, including myself, I thought Bo Nix was ready to have a breakout year. I thought he was going to have a great year, but he's proven otherwise. I'm, I have changed my mind completely on Bo Nix after watching him against Georgia. His mechanics are not there. He doesn't set his feet when he throws. He throws some of the most inaccurate passes I've seen. Um, and. Obviously, you can blame some of that on being pressured the entire game. But man, you should at least be able to set your feet and make a throw. Or at the very, very, very least, throw an accurate pass to a wide receiver. He couldn't even do that. So, I really don't like Bo Nix. I would compare him to Jameis Winston or Brett Favre. Neither of who, or both of who I suppose, were very overhyped as quarterbacks. Jameis Winston looked decent in college. Bo Nix doesn't even look decent in college right now. What is he going to do at the NFL level? I don't think he's starting quarterback material. I don't think he should be the starter at Auburn right now. I think Gus Malzahn needs to find a better player 
bench Bo Nix and let Bo Nix learn and watch from the sidelines because he needs some help. Uh, the Big 12 is... I don't even have a term for the Big 12 right now. It is a mess. Uh, your top two teams, arguably, Oklahoma and Texas. Texas has one loss. Oklahoma has two losses, and they play each other this week. If Oklahoma has three losses, that'd be better for the Big 12. I never thought I'd say Oklahoma having three losses would be good for the Big 12. But if your top two teams both have two losses after four weeks, that makes your conference look terrible. The Big 12 has already ensured that they will not put a team in the college football playoff. There's no chance, unless Oklahoma State ends up maintaining pace. But they won't. They won't. Oklahoma State's going to lose somewhere down the road. Chuba Hubbard can't carry that team too long. And for that reason, the Big 12 will not make the playoff, and neither will the Pac-12. Oregon will run the table in the Pac-12. I am confident of that. Oregon is a another good team, returning a lot of talent, bringing in a lot of talent after Justin Herbert left. And they'll go 7-0. They'll go 6-0 in the regular season and win the Pac-12 championship with ease. But they won't make the playoff because their season's just too short. And in one, in one part of my heart, I feel bad for Oregon. But in another part of my heart, I'm happy because the Pac-12 is the little brother to the other four Power 5 conferences. The other four Power 5 conferences are usually competent, with the exception of the Big 12. The Big 12 goes either way. Most of the time, Oklahoma's pretty competent, and then the rest of the Big 12, it's kind of wait and see. But this season, it doesn't even look like Oklahoma's competent. So I, th- I, don't, I think you have two conferences for the first time ever that are not represented in the playoff. Well, I can't say first time ever, but I think this early on it would be the first time ever that two conferences are not expected to be represented in the playoff. That being said, I have my top four and then my next four through these first few weeks of the season. So my number one is Clemson. Clemson will run the table, no doubt. They will be at 12-0. My number two is Ohio State, and the only reason I put Ohio State above my next two teams is because I think they go undefeated too, and the committee values an undefeated conference champion more than it does two teams with one loss each. My number three is Bama, just because I think they win the SEC. My number four is Georgia, because I think they're runners-up in the SEC, they have a win over Alabama, and nobody in the country is better, just because of the circumstances. So I think Ohio State goes 9-0, Bama goes 10-1, and and UGA goes 10-1, but because of the conference championship, Alabama jumps UGA to three, and UGA gets that final spot at four. Now, my first team out is Florida. I think Florida is a very good team this season, and if they weren't on the same side of the SEC as Georgia, I say they get in to the playoff. Florida is one of those cases where I think this is the last season where Georgia's going to bully them. I think next season Florida is the team to beat in the SEC. East, that is. Uh, My number six is Penn State because I couldn't find anyone better in the country who will have a better record than Penn State. Miami will go 10-1, but it's a weak ACC again. Their strength of schedule is nowhere near what Penn State's will be. Uh, Oregon will be number six, or number seven rather, going 7-0. They'll be a conference champion, but the Pac-12 is weak, and they don't play a long enough schedule. And then Miami is my eighth, going 10-1 and one to finish the year. All right, that's the end of my college football talk. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about baseball. How about the Braves? The Braves have looked phenomenal. They are the first team in MLB history to start the playoffs with four shutouts in five games. That's pitching, which is something that the Braves did not have in the regular season. If you guys will remember, Mike Soroka went out in the first month with a torn Achilles. Uh, we signed Cole Hamels for some absurd amount of money. It was like $14 million or something like that. And he pitched three innings. 
I made a trade for Tommy from the Baltimore Orioles, pitched three innings, faked an injury because the Braves told him to and didn't pitch again. Uh, Tuki Toussaint got sent down. Mike Fultonevich got sent down. Felix Hernandez opted out of the season and never came back. That's six pitchers who were expected to be in our starting rotation who weren't. And now we have Max Freed, who has been phenomenal. If not for Trevor Bauer, he would be the Cy Young in the National League. Ian Anderson, who is a wonder kid. If the MLB had a Rookie of the Year award for pitchers, it would be him. And then Kyle Wright really came onto the scene there at the end of the year. That's a good, solid three-man rotation. Now, the four, number four guy, we don't really have one. You could put Bryce Wilson on the mound, but he's not consistent enough right now. So, for the pitching to do as well as they're doing right now is incredible. Because the Braves' offense is the most reliable offense in the entire major leagues. They're phenomenal. And I think the Braves will make a very deep playoff run. Uh, there, there's some trouble in New York. The Yankees, I don't, I don't think they'll win the series. I think the Rays will take the series from the Yankees and go on and make it a series with the Astros in the American League Championship Series. I like the Rays a lot. They're very talented. They were, they were better than the Yankees in the regular season all year long. Um, I really do like the Rays. I think they'll take down New York. I think New York is overspending on some players who they shouldn't be overspending on. Aaron Judge is a strikeout machine. If he hits the ball, it's a home run. If he doesn't hit the ball, it's an out. That's pretty much how it is. Um, now the Astros, they're proving a lot of people wrong. They're proving that they don't need to beat on trash cans to win baseball games. They weren't the best team in the regular season. A lot of people would say that they shouldn't even be here, and they shouldn't because in a regular, traditional MLB postseason, they would not have made this playoff bracket. But yet here they are. They're in the ALCS. They're going to get a series with either the Yankees or the Rays. I don't think they'll win that series, but here they are. They're... They're holding their own, and they're proving a lot of people wrong right now. Whether their past title should be vacated or not, they're playing well. They deserve to be here. Uh, my, and then I do have one team to watch for next season, and that is the Miami Marlins. Their, their pitching is pretty decent. They could use one more solid starter in that rotation to really be an elite team. But... Their bats and their defense are pretty good. The Braves made them look bad, but that's the Braves. And the Braves are hot. Their pitching's hot. They're hard to hit. And they're hard to defend. So that being said, I like the Marlins next season. I think they finish second in the NL East in a 162-game season. They make the playoffs, and they, they make a deep run. I really like the Marlins right now. Uh, here's just a few predictions from me. I think the Dodgers take care of the Padres, whether it's in three or four. And they get their series with the Braves in the NLCS. But I really do like the Braves to win in six. They've, they've broken this curse. They've looked really good so far in this postseason. I don't think they sweep again, but I like them to beat the Dodgers in six. And that puts the Braves in the World Series playing the winner of the Rays and the Astros because I do think the Rays will take down the Yankees in this DS. And I like the Rays to beat the Astros in seven. I think the Astros can make it a very competitive series, but I like the Rays to go on to the World Series, which makes the World Series the Atlanta Braves versus the Tampa Bay Rays, a World Series that I never thought I would be predicting. But I... Although the Rays had the Braves number during the regular season, they made the Braves look pretty bad at times. I like the Braves to win this series. Their starting pitching has gelled a lot, and it has improved immensely since the last time the Braves and the Rays squared off against each other. Uh, because of that, I think their starting pitching can get them through a Rays offense that is 
not quite as good as the Braves, but it is very good. It is one of the top offenses in the MLB. And I think that the Braves are able to hold off the Rays and take that series in seven, which gives Atlanta their first title since 1995 after they failed to win a postseason series for 19 years. That's pretty incredible. And that is a great storyline for the city of Atlanta who struggles to win championships, who struggles to win anything right now. And that's the end of my MLB talk. So we'll move on to the NBA. I really I want to start this off by talking about LeBron James's legacy. A lot of people want to discredit LeBron for his six finals losses against his three finals wins. And a lot of people also want to say that LeBron has had better supporting casts because he's played with more all-star teammates. But let's talk about all six of LeBron's finals losses. The first one came in 2007 against the Spurs, who at the time had a Hall of Fame head coach and two Hall of Fame players in Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. Their second finals loss, LeBron's that is, came with the Miami Heat in 2011 when they lost to Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks. Now that one's a bit inexcusable. He, he should not have lost that series, ever. Uh, that's the only finals series that I don't think he should have lost because Dirk Nowitzki was the Dallas Mavericks that season. There was nobody else on that team. Jason Terry made a three here and there, and that was about it. Uh, the next finals loss came against the Spurs again, who this time had four Hall of Famers, Greg Popovich at head coach, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. All three of those men will be Hall of Fame basketball players. That is a loss that I think would be okay. And on that team, you can argue that there are two Hall of Famers, if not three, with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. But man, it's, it's tough to beat a team that's been together as long as the Spurs had with a coach that's as good as Greg Popovich is. I think, I think that that loss is respectable, considering he lost in seven games. Uh, so that, that was loss number three out of six. Number four came against the Warriors, who at the time had Steph, Clay, and Draymond. And then obviously the next season, LeBron got his revenge. Kyrie came in, made the shot. LeBron had the block. Wins an NBA title. Kyrie comes in. Cleveland, this is for you. LeBron does it again. Now, the next two years, he loses two years in a row, but the Warriors have KD, they have Steph, they have Clay, they have Draymond. That's just a team that not many people could beat. And the fact that LeBron beat them once is pretty incredible. I think that's his best finals win out of the three he has, soon to be four. Now, Moving on to what this series means for LeBron James's legacy, it would put him at 4 and 6 in the finals. It puts him having more NBA finals appearances than any player I believe ever. I know it's more than Michael Jordan and I know it's more than Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> and sure Kobe and Mike had better records in the finals, but LeBron isn't he hasn't really tried like he's done he's gone his separate way Kobe stayed with his team Mike stayed with his team because they were players and they wanted to be players they wanted to be the greatest players of all time LeBron isn't just a player he's a game manager he's the coach you never hear about Frank Vogel coaching the Lakers it's LeBron LeBron makes the decisions Frank Vogel and Rob Palenka didn't bring Anthony Davison LeBron bought Anthony Davison He's built every team that he's been on since 2010. He, it's been him working as the general manager, working as the player, the point forward, the power forward, the center. He's, he's been everything for every team he's played on. And that's just part of his legacy. That's what he wants to be. Jordan didn't want to be that. Jordan wanted to be the motivator. He wanted to be the player, and he wanted to be the superstar the world-renowned guy who revolutionized basketball 
in his own way. LeBron's doing the same thing. He's just doing it differently. I don't think that there really is even a greatest of all time conversation because they've done two very different things, excluding Kobe Bryant, just talking about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. They played two different positions. They had two different goals. And I just don't think there there is much of a conversation to be had about the greatest of all time because of what I just said. It's just very different comparing two things like LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Now that's all I'm going to say on that. I want to save the LeBron versus Jordan argument for when I have CJ on because I feel like that could be a really interesting debate. Now, I just want to move into LeBron James's top five teammates. I've heard a lot of talk recently about which teammates have gelled with LeBron and made LeBron look the best. And I have my own opinion on that. And I'm going to give it to you guys now. So starting at number five, I have Kevin Love. Uh, Kevin Love, although he played a pretty minimal role as a power forward in Cleveland, I do think he complimented LeBron James very well. He's not a selfish player. He's known for his double-doubles with rebounds, assists, points. It doesn't matter. He'll get. He's a double-double machine. And I do like Kevin Love for that. He's a very selfish player. He's a very humble player. And I think he complimented LeBron James very well, a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. But that being said, he did not compliment LeBron James quite as well as Chris Bosh did. Chris Bosh was the third wheel in Miami, but he did he did a very good job rebounding the ball, putting up points when LeBron James wasn't there. It's Chris Bosh is to LeBron James as Cam Reddish was to Zion Williamson back at Duke. That's the way I see it. Cam Cam showed up when he needed to. Uh, you didn't hear much about him. He was very quiet, but that's because he was playing behind two superstars in Zion and R.J. Barrett. Chris Bosh played behind two superstars in LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Chris Bosh is a Hall of Famer himself, in my opinion. He had a great NBA career with the Raptors and the Heat. And I do, th- I think he complimented LeBron James, again, a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. Number three is Kyrie Irving. I don't like Kyrie Irving at all anymore. I think he's the most overrated scumbag point guard in the NBA. Because he wants to do everything himself. He wants to be Batman. And he just cannot accept the fact that he is Robin. He's not a leader. He can be clutch at times. But he's the Clay Thompson to Steph Curry. He's not super he's not Superman and he's not Batman. He's the sidekick. And that's why Kevin Durant came to Brooklyn, because he knows that Kyrie needs that. And he knows that if Kyrie is playing Robin, which is what he does best, that Kevin Durant can be successful. And that being said, Kyrie complimented LeBron very well. He didn't necessarily work alongside LeBron. Kyrie was one of the more selfish teammates LeBron ever played with. But that being said, he was good at being selfish. Kyrie, he's not a great teammate, but he's a great basketball player. And for that reason, I think that him and LeBron complemented each other well. The only reason he's at three is because he's better than Kevin Love and Chris Bosh, in my opinion, by a lot. But that's the only reason he's at three. Otherwise, he would be lower. Uh, Number two is Dwayne Wade. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade's friendship is something incredible those two guys have been best friends since they came into the league together back in 2003 Dwayne Wade out of Marquette LeBron James out of St. Vincent St. Mary's Dwayne Wade was older than LeBron he played big brother to LeBron really at the beginning of this whole thing and they were that duo in Miami was incredible it was one of the best duos I've ever seen in the league you've got Malone and Stockton You've got Kobe and Shaq, and you've got LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And then you've got one more that I'll talk about in just a second. Oh, how could I forget? Jordan and Pippen. But man, LeBron and Dwayne Wade, just the lobs, all of the iconic photos, the brotherhood that they had in Miami, incredible teammates. 
but the player that complements LeBron the best in his entire career is Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is the guy that LeBron needed. He's an incredible power forward slash center. He, he can rebound the ball for LeBron, kick it to LeBron. LeBron can kick it to him. Anthony Davis can score from anywhere on the court just like LeBron could. They're twin towers. They're incredible. They're just physical specimens who can do things that they should not be able to do. And Anthony Davis and LeBron, they've, they've formed a brotherhood. Not quite as strong as his and Dwayne Wade's, I don't think. But I would say that Anthony Davis is just as good, if not better, than Dwayne Wade. And I just think that Anthony Davis and LeBron James, what they have right now is this partnership that ascends any other. It's the best partnership in the NBA. And we haven't seen what Steph and Clay are going to do because they were both hurt this year. But I still just think that LeBron and Anthony Davis is the best partnership in the NBA now. And it will be for a long time. That's going to be a hard thing to beat. Uh, moving on, just I didn't want to talk just about LeBron. So I wanted to make a few predictions for next season. I'll run through it quick. Uh, I wanted to predict the standings for next season. And just run through each team and why very briefly. So start with the Eastern Conference. My one seed is the Boston Celtics. And a lot of people would ask, well, where's Milwaukee? Well, they're at two. But I think the Celtics are younger, they're more talented all around, and they're, they're well coached. Budenholzer's a good coach, but man, Brad Stevens is just the guy for Boston, coaching all these young guys. But Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, Gordon Hayward, it's such a great team. I don't think Gordon Hayward will be there next year because Boston doesn't use him the way that he wants to be used, and Marcus Smart has ultimately taken over that Gordon Hayward type role and that's why I like Boston to be one they've got the defense they've got the offensive prowess they are a very well coached team and they will be for a long time uh, number two is Milwaukee you've seen them struggle in the playoffs the past two years I think that playoff struggle carries over into the regular season I think you start seeing some turmoil up there in Milwaukee and I think the Bucks slip to two three a lot of people forget about this team including myself the Brooklyn Nets, uh, KD and Kyrie, whether you like them or not, are very talented basketball players. And together, I think that they are going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially with Steve Nash coaching that team. We've never seen Steve Nash coach, but he was coaching in Golden State. He was one of the guys that helped Steph Curry become the guy he is today. And he's going to help guys like Karis LeVere evolve into better players. And for that reason, I think the Nets are a top three team in the East next season. Number four is the Heat, who are in the finals, the Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat. Um, I just don't think that they're a regular season team. Jimmy Butler's never been the greatest teammate in the regular season. Now this season, he, t he took his team to the five seed, which is decent. But he's, he just ascends everyone in the playoffs. He's a great leader to younger players. He likes to see younger players learn and evolve, and they're going to be better next year, which is why I moved them from five to four. Uh, number five is the Philadelphia 76ers. They just picked up Doc Rivers to be the head coach. I think the Sixers are talented. I don't think they're talented enough to be better than the four teams ahead of them, and I don't think Doc Rivers is the greatest coach for that group of players. We've seen that he can't succeed in the playoffs. He's got one championship with some of the most talented teams in the past 15 years in the NBA. I don't like Doc Rivers coaching that team. I think the 76ers slipped to five. And at six, I have the Raptors. I like the Raptors. I think they are a very well-coached team. I think they ascended all expectations this past year, but I just don't think they can do it again. I, would almost, I was very tempted to put them above the 76ers, but I do think that Doc Rivers will do enough in the regular season to propel the 76ers to the five seed, which leaves Nick Nurse and the Raptors at six. Seven, I like the Hawks to make a big jump. They signed Clint Capella. Trey Young is still a superstar. John Collins, 
superstar. Cam Reddish is going to evolve into a great player. And then they've got guys like Kevin Herter who can come out and shoot from the three-point line just like Trey Young. I think if they added one more piece, they could be a little better than this potentially. But I think six is about the highest they can go. I like them to make the playoffs at the seven seed. And at eight, I have the Pacers. The Pacers are a talented team. They've got Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. If they can make a few offseason acquisitions, then I like them to maybe make a move a bit higher in the playoffs as well, just like Atlanta. But I'll put them at eight for now, just because I'm not so sure about their coaching situation. Now in the Western Conference, I'm going to go ahead and run one through eight. I've got the Lakers, the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Jazz, the Rockets, the Mavericks, and the Thunder as my one through eight seeds. Uh, Lakers, I think they'll defend their title. I think the Warriors come back with a vengeance, but they can't overcome LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, I like the Nuggets. They're a very talented, young team, but I just don't think they're better than the Lakers or the Warriors right now. Uh, The Clippers, we don't know who their head coach is yet. We don't know who's staying and who's leaving. But regardless, I think they are talented enough to pick up that four seed. Uh, Five, I do like Utah. They're a good team. They're not great. I think they need just a couple more pieces to be great. Uh, Six, the Rockets. If they don't get a center, they could be seven or eight. I just don't like the Rockets right now. I don't think James Harden and Russell Westbrook are the best backcourt pairing. They're both selfish. They're both greedy. And for that reason, I don't see them ascending the sixth seed. A seven, I've got Dallas. I love Luka Doncic. I love Kristaps Porzingis. But if they don't get more talent on that roster outside of those two guys, seven is their max. That's as high as they can go. The other six teams ahead of them are just too talented. And at eight, I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Chris Paul did a great job leading that team to the four seed this past season, but I don't see him being able to do it again. I think every everybody else in the West outside of the Clippers got better this season and will get better in the offseason. I don't think the Thunder are ready to start signing t- players because they have so many first-round draft picks in the first three years that they got in the deal for Paul George with the Clippers. So that is all I've got tonight. Uh, If you guys want me to talk about anything else in the next episode, feel free to shoot me a text or a Snapchat or anything. I'd be glad to talk about anything that you guys have for me. Uh, But until next time, this is Dylan, and I will talk to you guys next time.